Amen. Hey, guys. Like Jordan said, we're going to be in John 11 tonight, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. John chapter 11. We're looking at the I Am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what more I can say after Jordan um, was just talking about going overseas, but that reality, like, needs to hit us, you guys, that that people aren't going to hear of Jesus unless people go. Like, Paul says, how are people, how are unreached people going to hear unless there's someone preaching, unless there's someone proclaiming the good news, and that's something that Jesus has commanded us all to do. So we'd, we'd love to just even have the conversation with you. Fill out the application tonight. The night is still young. You can do it. After salt, get out of here, go do it. Um, looking forward to just going through that process with many of you. Um, and man, tonight is, I mean, tonight is kind of like just a heavy night to begin with. Like we, you know, we heard the news, whether, you know, you knew about it for hours now or just coming into Salt Company, heard about the shooting of that Mount Mercy student. But um, tonight was like already with this text kind of supposed to be heavy. Like we were, we were going to look at this chapter and like I didn't want to pull punches. I didn't want to like kind of just be, um, you know, just I didn't want to miss the tone of this chapter that I think some of what Jesus is trying to get us to see here is that like he allows things to happen in life that like ultimately, even though they're hard, show us more of him. And there's this just honestly like really clear reality that like people die in this chapter that we're going to be in tonight. And I was, I mean, as I was like preparing, you know, we didn't, you know, we didn't just like change plans and all this stuff for like, let's do this chapter tonight. Like as I was preparing for a couple of weeks now, like I felt like I needed to call us to like, man, face the reality of death that, that like, death is real, that death is coming, that like we're mortal beings who just like are going to die someday unless Jesus returns. And that's, I mean, not meant to just like drum up even more fear in you or anything, but like death is inescapable. Maybe death has caused you deep kind of grief and sorrow. Maybe you've lost a a loved one or a friend recently and you're still working through that. And so you know exactly what people in the room feel tonight that maybe go to Mount Mercy or even just, yeah, are kind of hit by what we heard today in the news. So how can you not be fearful of death? Because, like, we're on a collision course for death. Like, every couple of seconds, someone dies in the world to four, six, like I, I tried to find how, you know, how often is someone dying, and it, I mean, I found all kinds of different numbers, but it's like lots of people, every 10 seconds, there's at least like eight people dying, maybe more. So how can you not be afraid of like when your day, when your appointment with death is coming? Look at the first couple of verses in our chapter, John 11, if you haven't turned there yet, John 11. 
says this, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, Lazarus of, the, of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. What is Jesus doing? Like the most loving man who ever walked the face of the earth, hears about this this man whom he loves. We're told that. He hears he's dying, right? Jesus has healed people who are dying. He's worked miracles. And what does he do? He just just stays. Look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Like, what is he doing? This is, like, this doesn't make sense. Verse 5 and verse 6 don't seem to go together. This man whom Jesus loves, and then verse 6, so he stays. And we're going we're gonna to jump ahead in the chapter to cover what we want to get to tonight in the I am statement. But what happens is, in the next couple of verses, we're told that Lazarus dies before Jesus comes. Pick back up in verse 17. It says this, Now when Jesus came, when he came near to where Mary and Martha were, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary or to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Like, here here is Jesus finally coming after a few days. And their brother's been dead for four days, right? Here he is finally. You can understand her response. Like, you you can just kind of maybe even imagine what her face might have looked like. How, how upset and just kind of in turmoil she probably was. Like, why didn't you come sooner, Jesus? Like, what if, what if you had been here the whole time and were able to save him from death? And so, right, she goes out to Jesus. She has these words to say to Jesus. She's, she's sad and she's in grief, and yet... She doesn't just tell Jesus to get lost. She's not so disappointed or upset at Jesus. Look at what she says next. Verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. 
Man, Jesus is saying, like, you believe in this day in which God is going to raise the dead? Like at the end of the age, you believe that he's going to send the Messiah and, and the dead are going to be raised? I'm him. And Martha's got a lot of things right. Like most Jews would have believed in this resurrection at the last day. But Jesus is not just saying like, yeah, that day is coming. He's saying like, it's not just this event in, in human history. Like, it's me. Resurrection is a person. The dead are going to be raised by me, by my power. I'm the one who's going to come on that day. What this is is for sure a claim to divinity. And Jesus is saying, if you're with me, like if your faith is in me, death is only going to lead to life because of who I am. Because I'm the resurrection and the life. It's me. You guys, the dead rising, you need to grasp this, at the end of the age is not just some event that's coming or it's not wishful thinking. It is first and foremost happening because Jesus says it is. And secondly, it's a divine, glorious all-powerful person, Jesus Christ. Like, what is going on here is that Jesus has delayed because Jesus wants for Mary and Martha to see them in all of his glory. Like, what is the purpose of this illness that has caused Lazarus to die? The glory of God. He wants them to see him for who he truly is. We're going to see this more as we go on. But Jesus wants them to get something that they haven't fully seen yet. Like, why weren't you here, Lord? Like, it's understandable that they wish that he was there. Maybe they're even questioning if, they, if Jesus really loved Lazarus. But we're going to see that Jesus has way more to show them. He wants to be clear. He wants to be pointed. That's why he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Like you might, you might die a physical death, but you're going to live. You are going to live. And he asks her, look at verse 26. Do you believe this? Like he's, he's here to have a real pointed conversation with Martha. I'm not just going to say some really true things. I'm going to ask you, Martha, do you believe this? Because life and death hinge on this. So we need to take note of some things here. John's aim in this gospel is to do the very same thing. Like he tells us in his gospel what eternal life is, what the gift of God is what it means to believe. This chapter, some have said, seems like it's almost like kind of the epicenter of everything John is trying to show us about Jesus. So let me ask you, do you believe? Like, do you believe you'll never really die? Let's look at what happens next. She said to him, after Jesus is asked, do you believe? Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. 
Verse 28, when she said this, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When, when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, come, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? It's probably what you're thinking. It's probably what everyone was thinking almost, even if they were unwilling to say it. Could not Jesus kept this man, this man he loved, from dying? The portrait that we see here of Jesus that John is kind of just painting with his words is first of all with Martha that Jesus is showing something true of himself with his words, but now with Mary. Now that Mary has come to him, come to him weeping, saying the same thing that Martha said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We see Jesus show something true of himself with his emotions. We see him weep. You might know that this is the shortest sentence in the Bible. Jesus wept. If you want to get a little bit better with Bible memory tonight, there you go. I think you can just lock that one in. Verse 35. Jesus wept. But like, think about what this is communicating. Jesus feels our pain. Like he's, it says he's deeply moved. Or maybe your translation says that a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Like he didn't like this at all. He didn't like that Lazarus was dead. And he wasn't afraid to be broken in front of all these people there. Even all of these Jews who were just following Mary around. And so to Martha, he gets really clear with his words. To Mary, he, he is clear with his emotions. Some have even said that maybe some of what Jesus is, is angry about in a righteous way is, is the curse of sin. That death is just a present reality in this world. And so here he is, saddened, feeling our pain, like pausing and actually showing Emotion, tears are coming down from his face. Jesus let these two women go through something. Feels it, enters into it himself to show them something far more kind of just vivid about himself. They need this vision of Jesus. They need their eyes open more to who Jesus is and that's what we need. Everything Jesus permitted, even the death of Lazarus, was for their good. It was because he loved them. 
And he's not afraid to do that in a significant way, perhaps, in, in our lives. And it's not because he doesn't love us. It's because he does. He'll use whatever it takes to get us to see him in all his glory. And something he permits in your life might even leave you feeling like he's stuck, just kind of waiting, not coming. He's still in another town far away that he's delaying. But what is going on here is all of that is setting the stage for something. Something that Jesus is going to do to make it really clear who he is and what he has power over. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he, had, he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is what Jesus came to do. This is why he delayed. He came to show that death doesn't have any power over him. That Jesus is completely in authority over death. And so the question is, if Jesus can bring someone back from the dead, what is he not in control of? Like seriously, if he can bring a man who's in this cave for four days, clearly dead, everyone knows he stinks, back from the dead, like just walks out. I don't know how that works exactly if you're bound, but you just come out, like you just, you're up, you're, your blood's pumping. Jesus is powerful. He's, he has the authority over death. Everything in the universe submits to him. This isn't just a vivid kind of picture of Jesus' power and how he's able to raise someone from the dead, though it is. And that's amazing. This is showing us something of how our salvation worked. How God saved us. I don't want you to miss this. You see, you and me were born spiritually dead. Like, literally so dead that nothing was going on. No love for God existed. No desire to know Him or follow Him. We were in this tomb or this cave of spiritual death. And if you're in Christ, God called you by his grace. He called you by your name. Come out. That's how sovereign and big and powerful he is. Lazarus was dead. And Jesus, by his word, just by the literal sound of his voice and his power, raises him from the dead. 
and you and me, dead in unbelief, dead in our trespasses and sins, Colossians would say, God made alive together with him. I love how John Piper describes this part in the chapter. He says it's like a a movie trailer. It's like this movie trailer to actually what God is going to do at the end of the age when the dead are going to rise. It's like this sneak peek, right? This, This preview that death just has to obey Jesus. Like at his command, when he comes, everything including death will submit. He shows his power here for Martha and Mary so that they believe, so that they have comfort, even though they went through something super uncomfortable. So do you really believe that you're going to live forever? Because what is being told here, what, what we're told Jesus did in this chapter is insane. Like this, like you don't, you don't just say I am the resurrection and the life as just sort of a moral teacher that maybe some would say Jesus was. He's not God. He's just a, a moral teacher. Well, if he says that, he's a crazy man. Like death has no power over Jesus. And so maybe... Maybe even those of you in the room who would say, I believe in Jesus. I ask you that question. Do you believe you're going to live forever? Kind of have some doubts. I'm like, yeah, I think I do. I believe the Bible's true. I think, I think everyone lives forever somewhere. My question for you is like, what is eternal life? Like, let's, let's see what the Bible says about eternal life. We don't even need to leave the Gospel of John. It's not going to be on the screen, but Jesus makes really clear what eternal life is, and therefore we can understand what it isn't. This is John 17. You don't need to turn there if you don't want to. It's just the first couple verses, verses 1 through 3. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority, there it is, Jesus has authority over everything, we'll see, over authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. The Father and Jesus are one. To have eternal life is to know the Father and the Son. Eternal life, you could say, is knowing and having God forever. One way I heard it put is eternal life is sort of like an uninterrupted life that death literally doesn't interrupt anything. You just go from being in this life with Jesus, with his spirit in you, already living the eternal life that started as a gift to you through faith when you believed, and now you're in the presence of God. It's an uninterrupted life. Because death, not even for a second, takes us from the presence of the Lord. Just brings him, brings us to him face to face. You could think of it like this. You can face death without fear because death is no match for Jesus. You can face death without fear because death is no match for Jesus. Like Jesus 
Salt Company, look at me. He is the resurrection and the life. Like he has authority. He has authority over death. The resurrection, it's coming. He's giving you this, this trailer. He wants you to see his power in John 11. He's the resurrection and the one who will bring about the resurrection. He's walked among us. He has risen Lazarus from the dead and he has risen from the dead himself. He was put in tomb for three days and death could not hold him. He was raised from the dead by the power of God. So what does this mean for us? Three things. First is, is this. I want to call you to believe that Jesus is God. If that hasn't been clear enough already, I want to make it clear now. He knows what we need in order to have eternal life. He tells us what eternal life is. That you believe in God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. His love and his power are on display for us. Jesus is God. He can't just be someone who was a moral teacher. He can't just be someone who healed a lot of people and who just kind of said a lot of things about love. If he did this, he is God. He walked among us. He lived a perfect life, a holy life, a life that completely fulfilled the law. And he laid down his life for us, only to take it back up again. And he lives to make intercession for us. Like right now, tonight, and for all of your life, if you're ever in a place of like guilt and shame, and you're in Christ, you know what God is hearing? He's hearing Jesus intercede for you. He's hearing Jesus say, I died for them. I rose again for them. My righteousness covers them. Jesus is God. Second, I want to challenge the way you live. I want you to live like you've really been saved from death. That's what Jesus came to do, to save you from not just physical death. If he comes again, he might let us physically die. Right? Come, Lord Jesus. But we might physically die. He came to save us from spiritual death. He came to save us so that we would live forever with God. So that should change how we live. Like if you really believe in the real Jesus who has authority over death, who's victorious himself over death, you can't keep living like this world is all there is. Like you have a way better home. You have an inheritance in heaven with God. This is just your temporary home. Like, hear me. Jesus said, if, like, if you lay up treasure for yourself on earth, you're missing it. Lay up treasure for yourself in heaven. So ask yourself maybe this question. Maybe you need to get alone with God still tonight as the music plays in a little while. Maybe you need to ask yourself, is the fact that you're going to live forever shaping how you live now? Like, is, is having the gift of eternal life shaping how you live now? Third thing. How are you going to keep your hope 
and joy. That eternal life is yours, alive. How are you going to keep that hope alive in you? Because I'm telling you, this world wants you to believe and is telling you in so many ways, you're probably just numb to it, that this world is all there is. That you should actually have a really successful life now because that's all there is. And if you're anything like me, you, you kind of quickly lose sight of the fact that you're going to live forever. That eternal life is yours. Like we don't wind up just having more hope in this eternal life that's ours through Jesus after a hard day or a hard week. It just kind of, we just tend to, to lose it. We leak hope. And so in order to be filled with hope for our eternity with God, what we need is God in the first place. I think the Apostle Paul understood this when he wrote to the church in Rome. He says this, Romans 15, 3, it'll be on the screen. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Like, how do you get hope? You need the power of the Holy Spirit. How do you get hope for your eternity with God? God. You need God even to hope and long for the eternity you are going to spend with him. You need the Holy Spirit to remind you and fill you with hope. The hope of your future with God. The hope of eternal life with Jesus forever. You and me need filled by God. Like real hope. We need filled by God real hope that can't be taken, that doesn't waver comes from his Holy Spirit. So let me close by asking you this. What would it be like to be a part of a group of people that like deep down in our bones believed we were going to live forever? That this life wasn't all there is, that we were going to live forever with Jesus. Like what would we do? How would we spend our time? How would we spend our money what would, we, what would we do when we're faced with hard things? Would we grieve like people do who have no hope, or would we grieve with hope? How would that change our, our hearts and our minds when we're anxious and worried? Like, what is, what is eternal life and hope forever with Jesus supposed to do in those moments. Because he wants to fill us with his hope. He wants to be this God who pours out his grace on us. Who gives us hope and life. So that even when we face death. We don't fear. Because we know the one who's conquered death. The one who has authority over death. God. I'm thankful for the fact that you've sent your son. That you love us. That you know and feel and weep with us. 
God, help us to live like we're really saved from death. That you have given us eternal life. That you are, Jesus, the resurrection and the life. That if we simply just cling to you by faith, if we believe, we will be with you forever. Gotta pray that that reality would shape how we live, that people would ask us what the hope is that we seem to have, like where we get it, why we have it. God, You are so powerful and mighty. And we just call to mind again your, your promise that you're near to the brokenhearted, that you saved the crushed in spirit. Thank you that you have conquered, that death. Death only gives way to life forever with you if we know you, if we believe in you. So teach us to, to love you, to always walk closely with you, to be dependent on you for hope and life.